Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. All right. Good morning. I get to kick us off today. Um, thank you for that intro, Danny. It was so, so cool to be able to to hear you speak. I've I've heard some of your messages on YouTube, and I'm I'm honored to be a part of this team with you too. So um we are all on the screen together, which is cool. I really like having some live feedback as well. So it'll be good to be able to um, to just look at some faces. I'm used to seeing people out in the audience checking their phones and and then I'll like look and I'll see the, the two people that I know are paying attention every week as my anchors of like, oh, this is actually purposeful. <laughs> but um, today we're continuing in our Advent a series of uh, Dream All Things Made New. We're continuing in our New Testament 2020, uh, going through the entire New Testament this year, and we are a couple weeks away from wrapping it up. But today um, I get to continue where Matt left off last week, where he was talking about the greatness of God and focusing on our botness. And I think and I just loved Matt's heart coming out in in how um, even in the massive sort of um, jarring things that we read, um, there is there is a um, there's a rest that we can have in in the price that was paid for us. And I loved Matt's heart coming out in that. And when he closed in chapter twelve last week, um, it it opens up this new series or this this new portion in Revel which is from chapter 12 to 16, which is this epic portrayal of the conflict between God and the forces of evil. And like I talked about in my intro, one of the beautiful things that we have in this book is that it's not a nail biter. Like we're not ever panicked about what's going to happen next. They tell us throughout the book and at the end that God is victorious. The overarching thing theme of this book is not this mysterious code about the future. It is a it is a renewing of our minds at the sovereignty of who we serve. So the sovereignty of God is the central theme of this book. Um, in the midst of all of these things that are being painted with apocalyptic and prophetic ways of talking, it's actually just painting a picture of what's happening in the heavenly realms while we live out our earthly lives right now. And so I want to read something from chapter 12 because um, it's it's easy to get lost in, in sort of the um, language that we're not used to hearing uh, about dragons and fire and rivers of blood and all of these things. It's, it's not something that we're used to talking about, but I want to read... Revelation chapter 12, because these kinds of things are, are really plugged in very strategically into all of these portions of text. And so I want to read this here. Uh, this is Revelation 12, 10. And this is a chapter before the one that I was asked to cover, but it says, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now is the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our 
God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. There are these reminders over and over again that God is not up there struggling with evil. He's victorious over evil. And we participate either in the life that is to come or we participate in death when we don't do that. And so I want to talk about chapter 13 and 14 um, because I think um, one of the things that that ends up happening to us when we try to understand Revelation, it reminds me, uh, I don't know if any of you have seen, there's a documentary on flat earthers. And flat earthers is a fascinating thing to me that there are that there are full on conferences of people that believe the earth is flat. But when I was watching it, I noticed that there was something uh, that there were some common elements of people that are really enamored by conspiracy. One is they're they're uncritical of their own confirmation bias, that all things sort of point to their truth being the ultimate truth. They have this belief that there's something bigger, more nefarious and secretive happening. Uh, And they have this unshakable trust in how they perceive things and how things seem. And what I want to do is make sure that when we read this book, that we don't fall into those same traps of just believing that how things seem is how they are. Because what ends up happening is if we just believe how we interpret things and how we read without going to the experts, without looking at people who have studied what this could have meant and how people would have received this, if we don't take that and actually look critically at the way that we have held these kinds of texts, um, we fall into the same kinds of traps. And so I want to make sure that we, we approach scripture at all times with a curiosity where we want to come and and get more questions rather than coming to it with our answers already decided. And so quickly, I know that I'm going to have to now skip a bunch of my notes because I knew I would get excited about it. And I knew that I I just do this every time. It's so horrible. Okay. I'm going to skip a bunch of other things that I was, I had a story about playing football. It's not even important. Okay. I want to share out of chapter four, 14, because I was asked to cover 13, 14. There are, there's a key verse here that I think actually ties in with what we talk about in Luke when we, when we look at Advent too. So this is uh, chapter 14 verses 12 and 13. Uh, It says, here is a call for the endurance of the saints. Those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds. Follow them. Now I'm going to go back to chapter 13. And this is uh, 13 verse 9. If anyone has an ear to hear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive to captivity, he, he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword, he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Now, whenever you see something repeated throughout a text, it's worth really paying attention to because it's giving us a clue of what we are supposed to actually do with this text that is filled with with images of rivers of blood that are as high as horses and all of the 
things being cast to earth and scrolls being eaten by angels and angels with eyes all over them and creatures with multiple sets of wings and all these things where it's really lost in what we're supposed to do this and why are we even talking about this during advent in luke 2 when the angel appeared and when the angels appear throughout all of our texts that we will ever read one of the most common things that they tell people is fear not fear not for the lord is with you right that um that there that there is joy brought fear not for today i bring you good tidings of great joy that's what we talk about that's that's what linus said right like we we can trust we can trust charlie brown like that that when we hear that fear not what ends up happening is is we have to remember this all ties into what jesus told us and how to live and that is that our fear will often take us away from what we are called to do the patient endurance and faithfulness that patient endurance means that as it said in chapter 13 terrible nasty things will befall us and it's it's not a call to try and piece together what the future might be because we have to be able to trust the sovereignty and the goodness of God to hold that for us. And so chapters 13 and 14 are really showing us that we can fear not. It is talked to, fear not is brought up by angels in the text 85 times. And in scripture it's brought up over 300. God's true power when it shows up has the has the ability to 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 panic us and instill fear because when real power shows up we know it but the beautiful thing is that we are told to fear not because god who holds our future is 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 encouraging us and is showing us that jesus's life should be the ultimate reflection on what our calling is and to take very seriously the way we love our neighbors and I really believe that the call in this in these two chapters was to get back to our task at hand, to love the people we're called to, to be patiently enduring the fact that while evil continues to persist, that God is ultimately on the throne victorious. And so um, I, there's a lot of imagery there, and there's plenty of ways that you can unpack that, and I'm happy to provide resources for that as well. But um, I think the ultimate end of end of the word there is that we need to patiently endure and continue living that Christ-like faith in a world that seems crazy. So um, I now get to pass it off to Pastor Barb. I'm sure I'm over time. Um, but I thank you all for being patient with me and we are going to extend the time today and I'm going to pass it to pastor Barb now. Okay. I love this so much. Three pastors, three people who love to talk and love to open up scripture. Um, that was great. Gosh, I took notes, Ryan, on what you said, as I have every time that you have spoken, because I, I love what you have to say. I mean, that whole idea of curiosity, I think that's so important. And uh, then ears to listen and the endurance to actually hear. And flat earth made me think about like a flat reading of scripture, which is what we really have. I, that's what I learned to do when I was first a Christian. I was kind of, I kind of was told that the Bible was this book that you just read and it was for you now. And so there was no, there were no layers in it. 
And I once uh, did a teaching uh, about upside down cake, but I think that what revelation brings is layer cake. It's multi-layered. It layers the Old Testament uh, and it brings like the frosting, the good stuff, you know, into all of the other layers. And um, then it leaves you with a taste in your mouth that is actually sweet when you thought you were gonna get something that maybe was savory. Um, and I've also really enjoyed community. I've really enjoyed um, studying this book because I haven't really looked at it for a really long time. And I loved all the different views that are out there about Revelation. And yeah, I think that I wanna begin with saying that the message of Revelation, it's as important today as it was 2000 years ago. It's a story, it's a dream, a revelation, a prophecy to a people, to the people of Ecclesia, those of us who are called out, who have desired and longed to live out the kingdom on earth that had already been shown to them and to us by Jesus and all of the witnesses that follow after him. But the people to whom John was writing, they were under the control of the Roman Empire. And I want to assert that there have always been empires and there have always been emperors. They've looked different and they've had different names, but throughout history, um, yeah, that's what's been there. We've always been under some sort of an empire, especially as the called out ones, especially as the church. And always the emperor and it, the empire has um, something to offer us. Um, perhaps it's the story of salvation, the good life, and how we're supposed to get to the good life follow the emperor, do what empire asks us to do, follow me. But there's only one God. And he's the one who can lead us to where we truly want to go, to a life of peace, of joy, of connection, of hope, a life of love, the way that Ryan just ended. And that is the life that we are truly created for. And so as we listen and consider all of the competing stories that we're hearing today from all of the conflicting emperors, past, present, and future. We need to, we need to consider, listen, open our ears. Does this story bring me closer to God? Does this empire bring me closer to shalom? the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, to wholeness. And we actually get, we actually get to make that decision for ourselves. We choose which story we're going to follow. We choose who is leading us. We choose who we trust. And in order to choose well, that's why we have faith. And that's why we have the word of God. And that's why we want to open it as community together weekly so that we can make those choices from the lens, from the view of Jesus, of the one true God. And that's why the signs in this book of Revelation are so important. Because like Ryan said the very first week, November the 29th, the signs ultimately lead us to Christ. So um, my portion of these six 
chapters of Revelation is Revelation chapter 15 and 16. And Revelation 15 begins with a song. And I love that. And here's a part of the layer. It's the song of Moses. It's This book, Revelation, it's really all about worship and hope, as both Ryan and, and Matt have already told us. Ultimately, it's about hope. And it's got a lot of numbers in it and seven. There's a lot of sevens in Revelation. Seven, the number of completeness. Seven is everything. Seven is the number that we want to be. So um, throughout history, the literal interpretation of Revelation has been used both to legitimize and even, um, I think, inspire violence in different parts of church history. And truthfully, don't we want God to judge our enemies? Sometimes violently. Yeah, wouldn't that be good? But what if Jesus actually reveals a God that's pretty opposed to violence? What if this God that we follow is unconditionally opposed to violence? Because it's against his true character, which is love, unconditionally. Unconditional love stacked against unconditional violence. And I think that the main centerpiece of Revelation might be in chapter 5, verse 6, the lamb on the throne. A violent lamb? I think not. Uh, and we aren't there yet, but we're going to be next week. Um, because in chapter 19, Jesus appears on a white horse and the sword is coming out of his mouth. Think about the symbolism of that. Jesus is the word. And it is that word, the words that he speaks, which are words of truth and words of love that win the victory over evil. Are we able to speak those words? Do we speak truth and love? And, you know, there are these two Bible themes that are constantly occurring. I said this to Ryan yesterday. Um, we're either the bride, pure and spotless, ready for our husband, or we're the prostitute, giving ourselves over to other gods the idolatry for the sake of what's in it for us, giving ourselves over to empire and emperors. And there's battle. There's this battle. Because the conflict, the battle that's woven, layered throughout Revelation is the conflict between truth and deception. Empire with emperors versus a savior born in a manger and then killed by empire on a cross for the sake of love and forgiveness, a lamb on the throne. What will we believe? Where do the signs point? That's what Ryan taught us as we began this study in Revelation. So in these chapters, 15 and 16, while we begin with a song of worship, there are seven angels, which is all the angels, bringing seven bowls of wrath or calamity and how 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 big how big can those bowls possibly be this is my biggest bowl how how much wrath do you think i can pour out of this bowl compared to the love of god how great is the love the father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, 
And that is what we are. And then in Romans 8, it says that nothing, not death, not life, not circumstances, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So let's go back to what apocalyptic literature is. It uses lots of extensive symbolism to let the audience, that's us, in on a heavenly perspective about earthly events. It's symbolical in nature and it's rhetorical on purpose. And it's kind of a drama because remember in those days, that letter, it was a letter to seven churches, which means all the churches, right? It was meant to be read aloud. Think dramatic. I mean, how long are we going to listen if it isn't exciting? And think that we are the ones who participate in the drama. Love versus empire. Good versus evil. And again, scripture tells us that we wrestle against flesh and blood, not against flesh and blood, but against powers, empires, emperors, and principalities. So um, I'm going to read a little, just one little short little thing from chapter 17, which is Danny's portion of this. It's uh, Revelation 17:9, and this is a translation. This calls for a mind that has wisdom. Considering revelation and its message to us today, it calls for a mind that has wisdom. We need to consider carefully using all of scripture, using God's character to understand the layers. And so I'm going to end by reading a benediction over us. It's from Ephesians 3.18. Before I read that, though, I just want to say that the same John who said that God is love is the one who wrote Revelation. So let's consider again wrath versus love. Ephesians 3.18 says, And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. It's his love that's unconditional. And I'm so excited right now to hear Pastor Danny talk about chapters 17 and 18 and whatever else is on his heart and mind. Thanks so much, Ryan and Barbara. I love what you both shared. Uh, fear not and endure. And it's about worship and hope. But I know this week of Advent, it's about joy. And we see in the first Advent, Mary discovering that she's blessed with child and there's so much joy there. We see her cousin Elizabeth, um, you know, um, seeing Mary and her womb leaps with joy. Um, we see the angels astounded. And just uh, celebrating with so much joy. And so I think, you know, the Christmas tradition we have is, is kind of patterned after those portions of scripture that describe this joyous celebration in the first Advent. But when we think about 2020, I know that um, joy probably isn't the main word that we would use to describe this year. I know recently I saw this Norman Rockwell Christmas drawing. And if you don't know Rock, Norman Rockwell, he makes all these like quirky drawings of, of, of American pastimes and different things. And you know, as I was looking at those drawings, there was something that was driving me towards it. It was kind of like the prayers that we had early on to think about things that are joyful. 
But for some reason, um, Advent, the season, doesn't feel that um, joyful. Um, there's just so much going on um, and so much chaos, quarantine, pandemic, and, and political and social upheavals. But as I think about the first Advent, I realized that that actually was the context of what was going on. I know we like to focus on the joy, but um, when I think about Mary, um, it wasn't about family gatherings and picture taking and all of that. It was a lot more about, um, about chaos and despair. When I think about Mary um, and she was told that she was like blessed, you know, um, and, and highly blessed by God, um, what, what I see in it is that almost immediately her fiance finds out and wants to secretly put her away. That doesn't feel very joyful. And so the first advent wasn't about being safe. It was about hurry up, let's flee to Egypt. It was about being looked down on suspicion for the rest of your life because you know people saw you as promiscuous. It was going about the drama thinking that your son was missing or to watch this unjust system falsely accuse and murder your son. And you know Mary was told in Luke chapter two, verse 35, that a sword will pierce your own soul too. And so it makes you wonder if God ever says, you know, I want to bless you. I think, you know, when I think about Mary, I would say, no, thanks, you know, I'll pass. Um, because that was the first, you know, context of Advent. Um, you have to consider that there was problems. There was actually a, a villain involved, a tyrant king by the name of Herod, yes. who um, felt threatened enough that he would kill hundreds of innocent babies. And there's this essay by Brett Younger who plays on the phrase, um, let's keep Christ in Christmas. And he entitled this essay, let's keep Herod in Christmas. It's pretty alarming when you think about that. And he writes in this essay, tragically, not everyone was saved. Herod's order was the death of every boy in Bethlehem, two years old and younger. And Matthew couldn't find words terrifying enough to describe the poor. So he quotes Jeremiah when he says wailing and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. And he goes on and says that the first Christmas were soldiers in the street, mothers clutching their babies, hiding in the closet. And, you know, he goes on and it's just like this, like a heaviness that, that's going on. And, you know, I know um, our family puts out this Christmas card every year and we put a, a verse, you know, to reference something about Advent. But I know I would never like intentionally write Matthew 2.18 that talks about Rachel weeping for her children because that's like, that's just so like against like how I was brought up to believe the season was to about be about. But that's kind of what the context is. And so which brings us to Revelation 17 and 18. Revelation talks about kings and nations and rulers and societies we look at Revelation 17 and 18, and it's this like, as, as Barbara and Ryan spoke about, it's this like empires and, and, and you know, and, and like political forces and just a lot of like, like, like evil intentions. And, and so when I think about this passage of um, scripture that we're all focusing in now, I, I can't help but think this is, this is the time we live in. This is everything about 2020 and even more. And in, ver in chapter 17 and 18, it talks about a woman, you know, sitting on a scarlet beast. It talks about Babylon, you know, which is the representation of powerful empires. There's 10 horns, which are 10 kings. 
There's a great pop prostitute who sits by many waters, which addresses like the expansiveness of this, this violent power. And so here, you know, again, uh, when you think about Mary and the canticle she sings, she doesn't just sing about the fact that she's pregnant. She's, she's singing about the context of, of the barrenness that has happened for decades, the historical pain that Revelation addresses. Yeah. And we see in scripture that it gives us this grand stage of human confusion, of sin and ignorance, right? Mary on one side lamenting that there are, there are injustices and inequity. And John on the other, and we see this grand stage that goes not only across geography, but time. But it's this necessary stage to display the immense glory of God that, that covers this whole expanse of human experience and desperation and to, to bring about this ultimate climax that God appears robed in glory as the King of Kings. And this is how God appears to Mary, right? In this context of darkness and pain. Um, and it's, it's how God appears to John who's physically imprisoned, right? He's quarantined against his will. And yet God appears to Mary, God appears to John on this Isle of Patmos. And Mary is able to say in her, uh, in her song, in Luke 148, Mary says the wonderful phrase, God has regarded me in my loneliness. My, my friend um, described you know, the French word um, that's used for regarded. It's, it's regardé, which means to look at twice or to look at again or to look at deeply. And so what Mary is saying is that God regarded me in the midst of all this darkness, that God has regarded me and, and looked at me twice and, and is looking at me deeply. And I, I mean, I find so much comfort in that because in that I know that we are seen. That in spite of all the problems going on this year and maybe all the past years that have accumulated into this year, what God is saying to us, to you, to Long Beach Christian Fellowship is that you matter. That your prayers are being heard and that even though so much is going on right now, um, that God regards us. Amen. I have a friend, um, his name is Jeff, and years ago he volunteered at a house for people with developmental disabilities. And he described it the first time that he uh, visited the home and he was approached by a woman who he described was larger than himself. And, and she approached Jeff and just so excited to see Jeff. You know, there's, there's this person willing to come out and help. And, and so she asked my friend, can, can I give you a hug? you know, just to show his, her appreciation. And so he consented. What he was surprised about, he said, was he didn't realize how large the hug would be. And so she like, didn't just give him one of those like, you know, little hugs, but she like gave him this full on, like, I am so glad you're here. And if you know anything about my friend Jeff, he's not the like hugging kind of person. And so he said that in a split second, he was kind of tempted to back away. But for some reason, he knew that um, he, he needed to receive this hug. And so he let his guard down. He didn't detach himself. And the way he phrased it to me was he allowed himself to be loved. 
And as we were talking about that experience, we thought, isn't that kind of our relationship with God? You know, we give God our verbal consent, you know, and, you know, we do it by like the songs we sing or, you know, with the words we say. But in reality, you know, even as we might maybe have like, you know, sang the song earlier today, we, we might have been, been expressing these words, but deep down there's like resistance. And then that resistance can take the form of so many things. It might be something that, that happened last week or even this morning, but we're not used to just pausing. It's so easy for us to get entangled in, in all the other stuff of life that it causes us to fear and, and we're not used to just allowing God to love us. Feel his embrace. And so, you know, during this Advent season, especially, you know, there, as I think about the difficult year LBCF has, has faced, I I'd like us to enter into this Advent season like Mary and like John, being able to say, yes, the reality of evil exists, and this has been a difficult year. This has been a difficult life. But if we as a community are able to enter into the presence of God and allow our minds to be filled with hope, then we know that we can enter into ministry. We, can, we know we can enter into whatever God calls us to because we will be filled with the love of Christ. And I know like personally so well that trying to do ministry without first experiencing the love of Christ is so painfully difficult. It, it's like making myself do something I know I should do, but inside I don't really feel like doing it. But Mary and John, in encountering the beautiful presence of Christ, were both able to see how grand and how beautiful God is. And Mary was able to say, God has regarded me in my lowliness. God looks at me. God cares for me. God knows me. And so to LBCF, I want to say, you know what? It's hard. And I wish I could see you face to face. But if there's something we can see from John's letter, is that even though he was quarantined, God used this quarantine to be able to reach out and affect not only the people in his lifetime, but in generations after that, including us. Yep. And so what does it mean for us to actually pause, to gaze, to be invited into the presence of God, to be affected, to be loved? And by doing so, we can practice that love to other people, that we don't allow anything like this quarantine to inhibit the ability for us to fellowship. And so let's pray, let's gather in the best way we can and in the safest way we can. But let's stay connected and let's try to figure out what it means to be the presence of God to one another. And so right now we're going to shift to our time of communion um, and Barbara's gonna lead us into that. And this time of communion is kind of what we've been talking about. It's, it's being brought into the presence of Christ. And so Barbara, you can just share your words uh, as we partake. 